As we come to the end of 2020, it's probably no surprise, I have been reflecting on this year and thinking a lot about what I want to focus on for 2021. This last year, and I'm sure you are the same, has forced me to do an audit on my life. What's working? What's not? What feels good? What doesn't? What do I want more of? What do I want less of? What do I need to do to show up as my best? And how can I support you in doing the same? When I look back on the challenges that we had in 2020, I feel really freaking proud. Proud of how far we have come in our step family life. Guys, 2020 has not been an easy year in the step family and co-parenting department. Seven years ago, though, all the things that we dealt with this year would have and did consume me. They affected my ability to show up as a wife, as a mom, as a stepmom, as a friend. They left me feeling resentful and questioning it all. But that was not the case this year. This year, amongst all the extra stress, I have felt grounded and confident And I have so much faith in our ability to thrive amongst the extra stress. What I'm saying is that while all the stresses in our life are still the same as they were seven years ago, give or take a little bit, the way they affect me and the way they affect my family has completely changed. So you're probably like, okay, Jamie, this is so great for you. What is the difference? But I have spent the last several years working on myself. Guys, it is about personal growth. And resist the urge to roll your eyes here because it is true. I have focused on improving my mindset, my reactions, my communication skills, and my perspective. I'm also a hell of a lot more confident and secure than I was back then. In my ebook, 101 Ways to Be a Kick-Ass Stepmom, I say, being a better stepmom doesn't come from a book about step parenting. It comes from developing confidence and becoming secure in who you are. It comes from taking control of your own life and developing healthy relationships with the people around you. And when I look back on this year, it's clear just how true that is. That's why I'm switching things up in the exclusive Stepmom community for 2021. Now, not only are members of the community going to get the interviews with experts, the live Q&As, the private forum, the unfiltered podcast episodes, the discounts, and the content that I don't share anywhere else, I'm also going to focus on personal development too. Here's the truth. You can read all the stepmom tips you want. You can read the stepmom tips until you are blue in the face, but if you're not doing work on yourself, nothing is going to change. So for 2021, in the exclusive stepmom community, we're going to focus on your mindset, self-care, relationships, perspective, and communication style. I'm going to coach you. Not only is it going to improve your step family life, it is going to improve your relationships, your confidence, your energy, how you feel, and how you show up every single day. Follow my lead. And this time next year, you're going to look back on 2021 as the year that everything changed. Not a member yet? Head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership to learn more. Seriously, what do you have to lose? Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm Jamie Scrimger, wife, mom, stepmom, life coach, conversation opener, and BS caller. Seven years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor with a glass of wine, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Don't get me wrong, I was madly in love, the kids were great, but as a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I was in over my head. When I went to the internet for support, I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support that I was looking for. Raw and real conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. 
Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But each week I'll bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to help you thrive amongst the tough stuff in life. My goal is to inspire you to live your version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So today we are going to talk about divorce. For the longest time, I thought divorce was such a bad thing. My parents are divorced and honestly, growing up with divorced parents sucked. I tried my hardest to say that I didn't care or that it wasn't a big deal. But even as an adult, sometimes it still sucks. You know, trying to coordinate holidays and having my parents in the same room at a big event, which is super awkward, by the way. Navigating weddings, not having that big, happy family that you dream of on the holidays. It's just, it would be nice to have that. And I'm not crying at night or anything. I'm just saying I always thought that if I could choose to have my parents together or my parents not together, I would choose together. But lately, as couples in our circle have started to get a divorce and I've had conversations with coaching clients and women in the exclusive stepmom community, I've been thinking more and more about this and I've kind of changed my tune. And it's not that I've realized that it's not that I would prefer my parents together. It's that I wanted them to be together and to be happy together. And that's not how it was. Darren and I were talking about this the other day and I said to him, well, we were talking about divorce and I said to him, I just, I can't imagine leaving you and not wanting to do whatever it takes to save our relationship. We were talking about people who maybe give up too easily. But then I also said, I've never woke up in the morning feeling like you are not the person I wanted to wake up next to, even during our really hard times. And there have been really hard times I've just never felt that. And I just can't imagine waking up next to someone who you didn't want to wake up to or you don't want to wake up next to for a long period of time. I've never felt unsupported. I've never felt like I couldn't talk to him or that we weren't connected. So I can't really speak about divorce or wanting to get a divorce because I don't know how it feels to have that be a step that you're considering, if that makes sense. And, you know, as a result of these conversations, I've changed the way that I think about divorce. And in our society, we really value and celebrate the longevity of marriage. And I think that's really great, but I think we should start celebrating happiness and supporting people and finding happiness and living a life that feels right and aligned more than that tradition or institution, you know, if you're not happy and aligned, you should be able to go do what makes you feel happy and aligned within reason, of course. So that's what I've been thinking. And then there's this other part of me that's thinking about the really hard times that Darren and I have had times when it would have been really easy for either of us to just throw in the towel and say, I just can't do this. This is not what I want for my life. And just throw, yeah, just do the big D. And We've had to work on our marriage and we've had to be deliberate during those really tough times to get that spark back. And I guess that's where I struggle. That's where I think the struggle is. Where do you draw the line? How do you know if you're in a rut in your marriage and just writing out the ebbs and flows and tough times, or you are not supposed to be with that person and you should get a divorce? Because I do believe that there are people who give up without putting the work in and 
you know, it's easy. It, it goes back to that quote. And I was saying that Jasmine Starr sent an email around um, a little while ago saying like, you need to choose your heart. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. You need to choose your heart. So what's your heart? I also believe that there are people who thought the divorce was the answer. And then years later, haven't found that happiness that they thought they would find that they thought they would get from being divorced and starting over. And it's kind of like that, well, the grass is greener where you water it kind of idea. And then I also believe that there are people who stay in their marriage because they think that's the right thing to do. And deep down, they're freaking miserable and unfulfilled. And I, you know, even if you're married, like we celebrate, say someone's been married for 60 years, but do we know if they've been happy? Because I can't imagine being with someone for 60 years or 50 years or even 10 years, one year, if they don't make you happy and you feel unfulfilled. So anyway, I'm rambling, but I've been really thinking about this a lot lately. And the good news is today's guest helps women figure that out. Her name is Kate Anthony, and she's a divorce coach who helps moms decide whether they should stay in or leave their marriages. And then she helps them heal their relationships or exit with grace. So she figures it out and then helps you with your plan. And Honestly, this interview is so freaking good. I could talk to Kate for hours. We dive into her marriage and how her marriage and ultimately her divorce inspired her to start this work, how you know if you should stay or you should go, what she thinks that you need to do before you get into a new relationship if you do leave, tips for communicating in a healthy way, even about the hard stuff, co-parenting, conflict management, the mom-stepmom relationship, boundaries. This episode is so packed and so good. And I hope you enjoy it. I really think you will. And if you do, do me a solid and share it with someone who needs to hear it too, because I think that this is such an important conversation to have. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review. It means the world to me. And that's it. Let's dive into the episode. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I am so excited for this conversation. I just cannot wait to hear what you have to say. I follow along on Instagram and you're just so off the cuff and real and funny that, uh, you know, I, I love me a good straight shooter and I think that's what you are. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> around. yeah. So to start, why do you... Give us a little bit of an introduction and just share what it is that you do. Yeah, so um, I am. I'm a coach. I've been a. I've been coaching for over ten years, um, and I'm a divorce coach. But primarily, my what I'm most known for is helping women decide whether to stay in or leave their marriages. And you know, essentially, this is the biggest question, I think, that anyone ever really faces. It's probably the biggest decision that anyone ever makes in their lives. And um, I know that, you know, I went through this. I, I struggled with this question for years and years and years and years. And I just wanted a burning bush, right? I just wanted someone <laughs> to like, you know, Morgan Freeman to come down and be like, this is what you need to do. Um, and unfortunately, that didn't exist. And at the time, you know, there was no one doing the work that I do. And so uh, over the last 10 years, I've, I've created it, I've created a program around it, you know, somewhat of a system around how to make this decision in the best way possible in the most informed way possible. Um, and what are the what are the things that you really need to look at, you know, 
And so that's what I do now. And then if, you know, if it goes in the direction of divorce, which, you know, I hate to say this out loud, but you know, ultimately if you're up at three o'clock in the morning, Googling, should I stay or should I go? And you're getting past three pages of the clash and you're landing on my website, you're probably just looking for permission and information. Right. And so not everyone that I work with gets divorced by a long shot, but, um, you know, so, but then if they do end up making that decision to go, um, then I help them get through that process in the best way possible. And really my work is all, is all with moms because at the end of the day, everything I do is in protection of children. I don't mm-hmm. really care how you do your divorce. If you don't have kids, like you can go to court, you can spend millions of dollars. Like, I don't care. But if you have kids, they end up being put in the middle and used as pawns um, in the litigation system, in the divorce court system, certainly in the U.S. And that's where I really, really care. So that's what I do. I love it. And what, so obviously your own experience inspired you to, yeah, I love it because you created what you needed. Right. And that's what I did, you know, and I I think that I love when women, you know, go through the trenches and they look and they see a void and they're like, no, I'm going to uh, create the support that I was looking for. So I love that. But what made you so inspired to focus on the kid piece? Right. Like that, that seems to be, you know, you just said, I don't care if you want to do it this way, if you don't have kids, but what, what really inspired that? Um, so really that came out of, uh, well, being a mom, first of Mm -hmm. all, (laughs) right. When I got divorced, the first thing I did was because everyone said like, you need to go get a, get a divorce attorney or consult a divorce attorney. And, 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 you know, they always say, everyone always says that, like the first thing you need to do is get an attorney. And first of all, I just want to say, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's actually probably the last thing you should do, um, if you need it. Um, but I did. And I went into this, uh, divorce attorney's office who was like straight out of some, I mean, he was like straight out of some seventies, like porn or something. He was like (laughs) smoking cigarettes in his office. And this was like well into the two thousands, right? Like he's like smoking cigarettes and he's like old and fat. And he's like, and so he says to me in, in California, we have this thing called a disamaster, right? And essentially Uh, Child support and spousal support is sort of determined by percentage of custody and difference, difference in income, income differential. Right. So um, you you plug in like how much he makes, how much I make. I was a stay at home mom. So that was zero. Um, And then you plug in the percentage of custody and it spits out a number. But then you can slide the custody bar over. And he was like, so if you were to move the custody bar over, and if you were to sue for more custody, then you would get more money. And I was like, but I don't want more custody. What are you talking about? And he was like, well, I mean, don't you want more money? And he was, and he was like, and I was like, but how would I get more custody? And he said, well, we just, you know, you know, prove that he's an unfit parent. And I was like, Whoa. And I, you know, I would say I walked out of that attorney's office with a really clear understanding of like, okay, this is how much money 
um, I should, you know, I'm entitled to or whatever, which is really what I needed to know. Like, what am I going to get to live on? Like, you know, I've been a stay at home mm-hmm. mom, no income. Um, but I also realized that if I were to hire him, he would put my son in the middle and use him as a pawn and try to take him away from his father who he adored, <laughs> you know, and still does. Um, and who was a wonderful father. He was just a terrible husband for me. And, and he was gonna, he was gonna be the one to suffer. And at the same time, this guy was going to make a shit ton of money off of my, you know, off of this, this sort of fabricated battle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the thing that really stuck for me. And then when my ex and I went into our first mediation session, which is what we always were going to do, the mediator said, do you, here's, you have one question that you have to answer. And this is really the center of all the work that I do. He said, you have one question that you need to answer right now. He said, do you want to put your son at the center of all of your decisions or in the middle? And we were like, I'm at, at the center, (laughs) obviously. And he was like, all right, because when shit gets hard, I hope I can say that word on your, can I say that on your show? You can totally say it. (laughs) Thank God. Um, Because when shit gets hard, you know, he's the, your son will be the pawn, right? He's the one who's going to be affected. And when indeed, when shit got hard, the first, he, he pulled it out and he was like, Hey guys, what's best for, what's best for Emmett? What in this scenario is best for Emmett? And it made every difficult decision a lot easier. And what people don't understand people, but I also knew that had I been more angry, had I been more bitter, had I been more vitriolic, had I been more vengeful, I could easily have been led down the litigation road. Right. And so that's the work that I do with women is I really help them get to that place where they're no longer in resentment. They're no longer doing the blame game. I don't care who cheated on who or who did worse or who did what, right? When we take responsibility, when we excavate, when we take full inventory of, you know, all of the stuff. And I was in an emotionally abusive marriage and I was, you know, in um, a situation where my husband was um, serially unfaithful to me, which I didn't know until later. And so I could easily have been really angry about it, right? But instead I did my work. And I took responsibility for how I ended up in this marriage. And I was able to come to the table in a more neutral and collaborative way in service of my son. Mm-hmm. I love it. You know what? I'm sure there's a lot of stepmoms who are listening to this right now. Can I get your card and send it? <laughs> yes. Well, yes, right. Exactly. Because that does inform the next relationship, right? And I know, you know, your audience is stepmoms and that's exactly right. You know, and my, my ex is remarried. My son has a stepmom. And she's wonderful. And I could, I could be, and you know, he's nicer to her than he was to me, by the way. And I could have been, I could be really jealous about it. I could be really angry about it. I could be really bitter about it. But instead, my, my stance is always the more people who love my kid, the better. Right. And if my ex-husband is happier with her, great. That creates a better and healthier environment for our son, you know, six ways to Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's and such that's a good work. point. Right. And that's hard work, right? That's not like it takes hard work to get there. <laughs> 100%. And I think it's really about owning your life. 
You know, yeah. you are the only one who you can control and you can sit around and you can be bitter and you can be resentful. You can be, you know, hang out in that place of hurt or you can grab the lessons and yeah. figure out how you're going to do better and move forward with your life. Because I think where a lot of, you know, not even saying ex-wives or just a lot of people in general struggle is that they're so stuck playing the victim and so stuck in the negative experiences that they've had that they can't move forward. And you got you got to do the work and process through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not easy because it really takes putting your ego aside. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's really hard, especially for ex-wives. I think, you know, when the, when a new woman comes in, like, I think that's, that's that ego that does a lot of bruising to an mm -hmm. ego. And if it's not a strong or solid ego, <laughs> that's going to be, you know, it's going to be harder. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's when you see those situations where it's like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years later, or even five years later, and they're they're still trying to make things difficult. It's like, please do the work, right? Because this isn't healthy for you. It's not healthy for you to live your life in that place. Oh, my gosh, right? Like, I mean, I feel terrible, terrible for women like that because it's like, holy crap. Like, And listen, I don't do it perfectly. My, you know, my ex and my, and his wife and, you know, we've, we've gone through it over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're in a really good place now, but we've gone through it because, and, and, and a lot of it, by the way, in the beginning was my ego a hundred percent. I talk about the shifting of primary, right. And like, as an ex-wife, I sort of was playing the part of sort of first wife for a really long time. Right. Like I was pissing on my territory and my ex was my territory and his girlfriends, you know, after we got married, you know, they were sort of let into the family by me. I was like the gatekeeper of the family. And I did this whole thing for many years. And it was really, like, I look back at it, I'm like, oh God, you know, but we were also trying to maintain a relationship and we were kind of best friends. And so it kind of made sense and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, eventually when he met, the woman that he ultimately married, she was having none of it. <laughs> she was like, bitch, back off. And, <laughs> you know, like, and she was right. She was a hundred percent right. You know, and she set the boundaries and she set them messily and it was ugly. But at the end of the day, I had to look at it and be like, yeah, he's not my territory anymore. And, you know, when it was like, I was the emergency contact in his phone. And I remember seeing when he switched the emergency contact to be her and I saw it in her, his phone. And it was such a gut punch that like, and it was not, you know, like I should business still being his emergency contact. Like <laughs> it's fine, but it was my ego. It was all my ego. And I wanted to be primary. And she was like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And she was right, but it, but it, oh, it was, a, it's a hard move. It's a hard move for an ex-wife to get out of that position. And by the way, this was like, you know, I had, when this happened, we'd been divorced for like, you know, a good four or five years and I was still playing that role. 
But, you know, I think that, you know, I often will talk about amicable divorces and people will say, oh, I'm still best friends with my ex. And, you know, we're so, so close and we do these family things together and and all of it. Right. Which is really great until someone comes into the picture. And I remember having a conversation with my husband. And so we have an age difference, too. So we have 13-year age difference. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting at dinner when we first started dating. And he kept saying the word amicable over and over again, like so many times. He said, yeah, we're just so amicable. This is how we're doing this. And I said, you know, let's just wait and see how amicable you are when she finds out you're dating a 26-year-old. Like, let's be honest here, right? Um, Because that's, you know, when a new person comes into the picture— all of a sudden, there's all of these adjustments and roles and so many more emotions that that come into play. So uh, amicable is always really good. But when you have those messy boundaries at the beginning, I think that's where there's like another transition down the road. Well, yeah. And I there is. That's exactly right. And um, I talk about this in terms of like you're getting physically divorced and then you have to get emotionally divorced. And And so many of us, we, we sort of, we get divorced, but then we don't actually emotionally separate in the way that we should. Um, whether that's like logistics or like being best friends and doing family stuff together. It's like, I mean, we did that in the beginning and it ended up like really like blowing up in our faces in like a major tailspin kind of way. Because again, like, and, it, and it, I think it was around when those boundaries had to shift, when he had to shift to you know, his, his sort of allegiance to his new wife and away from me and my ego got bruised and she was pissed off. She was like, what is going on? You know, and you do, there is another layer of separation. And that's why, you know, I always talk about how divorce is like, it's, it's a never ending process. It's mm-hmm. a, there's constant, you're constantly separating more and more and more and more. And then actually that allows room for a much healthier friendship and relationship down the line. The more boundaries you have, the more you can come together in service of your kids in a healthy, friendly way. Yeah, I love it. You can't do it right away. You just can't. And you can't do it if you're not ready to do the work. 100%. 100%. Because you're still, then you're still codependently enmeshed. Mm -hmm. And anyone else who comes into that mess, like, (laughs) whoa. She's messy. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Stepmom Magazine. Guys, Stepmom Magazine is probably one of the only stepmom resources that I check out on a regular basis. It is an online magazine with articles from all the top step parenting experts on all things stepmom life. If you've been through it, Stepmom Magazine has covered it. The articles inside Stepmom Magazine are written by a hand-selected team of experts. Contributors are licensed therapists and published authors and stepfamily professionals who just get it. Stepmom Magazine also has eBooks that you can download if you're struggling with a particular issue, such as disengaging or dealing with the ex or having an R's baby and more. It is a super cost-effective way to get support and most importantly, reassurance that you're not alone. It is such a great feeling when you get the monthly email letting you know that the monthly edition is ready. The articles are always so timely. To subscribe, head to www.stepmommagazine.com and use the code JAMIE20 to save 20%. Again, that's www.stepmommagazine.com and use the code JAMIE20 for 20% off. 
Huge thanks to Revival by Martin Co. for supporting this episode. Revival by Martin Co. creates sustainably handcrafted, reclaimed wood watches that not only are freaking gorgeous, but are designed with materials to uplift your spirit. Founded by husband and wife duo Dana and Jeff Martin, Revival by Martin Co. is passionate about self-empowerment and empowering women and children all over the world. Not only do I love their watches, but I absolutely love the mission behind it. 25% of proceeds from every watch purchased is donated to WaterAid Canada. WaterAid is an international not-for-profit determined to make clean water, decent toilets, and good hygiene normal for everyone. As it should be. Darren and I both wear our Revival by Martin Co. watches all the time and are always asked where they're from. Darren wears the Ebony Ignite, and I am obsessed with my Sandalwood Clarity watch. Head to www.revivalbymartinco.com to check them out and use the code JAMIE15 for 15% off. That's www.revivalbymartinco.com and use the code JAMIE15 for 15% off. So here's a question for you. You you coach moms uh, into deciding whether to stay or, or when to go. How do you know? <laughs> Because well, I do think there's times in a in a marriage where well, it could be really, really hard. And yeah. it's like, okay, should I stay or should I go? And then you hear all these people who say, oh, well, we made it through the hard times and, you know, we had to process through it and now we're in such a better place. Sure. How do you know if that's your situation or not? Um, well, there's a number of markers, I would say. People say like, you know, marriage is hard and relationships are hard and they require work. And that that's true. Um, but like how hard, <laughs> right? Like square peg round hole hard, not good. Um, the most important marker for me is that if both people are willing to do the work mm-hmm. and that is the most, I think the most important marker, um, because most of the women I work with, I've got, you know, thousands of women in my Facebook group and that I talk with every day and, they're, you know, most, most of the time their, their husbands are not willing to do the work. They don't want to go to therapy because we live in a culture in which, you know, you know, manhood is sort of this, this thing. And, you know, a lot of men are not willing to do the deeper, darker work on themselves. And I hate that. And I hate saying it as a generalization. I don't think it's entirely true, but I've seen it enough in my work to, you know, to know that it's, it's overwhelmingly true. You know, if both people are willing and both people are willing to go to therapy, um, both individual and couples, then hallelujah. I think almost anything is possible. If two people are willing to do the work and are showing up honestly, you know, and with integrity and, um, you know, even then it, it, they can't, it can't, it doesn't always work. Um, but at least you can say that you know that you both tried really hard. But if you're married to someone who's like, I don't need therapy, I'm not going to go, then I think you have a problem. Yeah, for right. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and I think it's important to differentiate between, like, so last night, my husband pissed me off royally. Like, <laughs> he really and truly, last night, man, that guy, like, I just could not even. But yeah. I still love him. Right. And I think sometimes when people are in rough patches where they're just not aligned and they just maybe are stressful, like everything's stressful or they're stressed out and there's just like a lot going on and they just kind of are are not feeling 
connected versus not wanting to be around them ever or not wanting to do the work to make it better or even have that conversation. I think that's where the, that's where the line is. I absolutely, absolutely. And that's, it's, it can be hard to differentiate, right? Because I work with a lot of women who, you know, I work a lot with emotional abuse. Unfortunately, I didn't set out for that, but here we are. And it could, because it's so prevalent and, you know, there's so many women who are like, but I love him. And we have to examine what that is, right? Is that love? Does he love you? Like is, you know, what is love and what have we, you know, the work that I, a lot of the work that I do in my programs in particular, you know, it's sort of broken into three sections. And the first section is really on ourself, your self-work, your self-worth, your self-esteem. How did you learn to love? And if you have a sort of collapse between love and control or love and abuse or um, love and neglect, if, if that's what you attached love to in your earliest bonding experiences as a child, that's what you're going to look for in a partner. And that's not love. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you say like, I love, but I love him. I mean, I hear that a lot. I mean, I'm sure that's totally the case with you, Jamie. I'm not saying in your, in your situation, right. But, but we have to examine what love is. We have to examine what we have attached love to and what our expectations are of that love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where women, you know, we have trauma bonds and, and things that are really sort of psychologically uh, twisting and confusing. Is love enough? Mm, depends on what, how you're defining it, right? Um, but I think you're right. Do you like him? <laughs> right. Like, if you met him today, would you choose him? When your kids are grown and like all is said and done, is he the person that you want to sit on the rock on the porch in a rocking chair with for the rest of your life or like walk off into the sunset? You know, and I know people that have, you know, re- marriages that are like not com- quote complete, right? Maybe they have no sex. Maybe they, you know, whatever it is, but at the end of the day, they want to end up together because they're best best friends. Right. And they love each other, right? And I also think it's important to talk about what you're arguing about. Like, is your, you know, for me last night when he totally pissed me off, it was a communication issue that we had and just like a different priorities, a different time. We had a lot going on. So if you're having kind of a spat about that versus a spat about being completely disrespected, a a spat about having no boundaries or a spat about your priorities not being or your feelings not being a priority, I think it's also really important to to talk about what you're fighting about and what kind of issues are they? Like, is it laundry on the floor? Is it like toothpaste in the sink? Or is it emotional abuse? Exactly. Is it, is it, and that's why in the second part of my program, just not trying to plug everything, but like, no, plug away. This is an important thing that we look at. I spend a lot of time talking about the patriarchy in my work because you know, the patriarchy, I think there's, there's sort of like two sides to it. There's the side where we have all been conditioned by it and we are all, listen, the mental load is a thing in marriage, in, in, in male, in, in cis hetero relationships, women are going to bear the mental load and we're going to be exhausted. So if you divorce him because you're, you're bearing the mental load, 
you're like any other relationship you're going to get into is going to have that same problem. (laughs) So you may want to work that out with the person you're with. Right. Mm -hmm. On the other side, the patriarchy is also created, you know, it's also part of what's responsible for emotional abuse and, and, you know, narcissistic abuse and all of these other things. And so, you know, you're right. If we're arguing about laundry on the floor, stick around and let's talk about the fact that, you know, you feel disrespected and you feel like you, you care, you're exhausted by all these things. And the laundry on the floor isn't just about the laundry on the floor. It's about the overwhelming amount that you carry as a, as a woman, as a wife in the household, you know, by nature of being a woman in, in a patriarchal society. <laughs> right. 100%. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's a hundred percent true. If you're arguing about that, like, go ahead, like talk that out. And what's really sad for me is how many women confuse those and how many women just sort of feel like the emotional abuse that they're living with is like fine or normal or like, you know, oh, well, (laughs) you're right. Or they don't even, they don't actually recognize it as such. We've, you know, so They're so blind to it. You know, I had a, I had a girlfriend and she ended up, they ended up splitting. Um, but you know, I was having a conversation with her one time and and she was saying, everything's so great. Like things are really, really good right now. And I was thinking to myself, like, really, that doesn't look good to me. Right. And I think sometimes when you get so stuck in those emotionally abusive relationships, you don't even know what good is. You don't even know how you're supposed to feel. And your definition of, happy and content in a relationship and a healthy relationship is so fucked up that you don't even know. And that's where I think is really sad is so many women don't know how they deserve to be treated. Totally. A hundred percent. And I will have women be like, but he doesn't hit me. And I'm like, is that your fucking bar? (laughs) (laughs) We have a really big problem. (laughs) No, for sure. That's a bar. <laughs> right. It's, it's like, God, it just hit me, get it over with. And like, it could be not, obviously not, but like that's yeah. sometimes yeah. emotional abuse is far worse than physical. Absolutely. You talk about the importance of having an exit plan. Why is that important? Well, because, you know, if you were in an emotionally abusive situation, first of all, like that is important, right? You need to get all your ducks in a row. You know, because as soon as you, as soon as you leave, so any, any abuse, right? As soon as you leave, that's when things escalate and get more dangerous. So if you're in any form of an abusive situation, that's super important. Um, and you want to make sure that, I mean, an exit plan, I want, I want people to be educated about what's their next steps. Just like I went to that divorce attorney and I got myself educated about like, okay, what am I even mediating towards or for, Right. The other thing is that um, in even a non-abusive situation, especially like stay-at-home moms, you know, like I was, if women have, women so often have given up uh, financial control and agency and they don't even know what there is, right? And so before before people have an opportunity to start like hiding assets and right, like get in there, get copies of bank statements, get copies of retirement accounts, get copies of everything that you're going to need so that if things go South, if you have any, I'm not, and I'm not talking about setting yourself up for having an adversarial experience, but if things do go South, you just want to be educated. And you want to have all the information that you can possibly have um, to, to, to just cover your own ass, 
really. For sure. It's like worst case scenario. You don't because the person you marry and the person you divorce are two very different people. And I heard that from Dr. Phil. I remember years and years ago. I don't even know what episode I was watching, but it's very true. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And then there was something else that I think I've also heard someone say, like, don't ever marry someone that you don't want to divorce. Because like, I don't know if they're, the, they're, the, they're a different person. They could be a different person, but you probably knew. You could probably see how they behaved in certain circumstances where you realize mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't ever want to be on their bad side. <laughs> you yeah, know? for sure. I don't think my husband would ever want to divorce me. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking, but probably not really, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you talk about, um, you know, people having a failed marriage and then they enter into another relationship, what do they need to do to avoid making the same mistakes? Because, you know, you were talking about, you know, dealing with like the laundry and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's probably going to be the same type of issue that you have in another relationship. Is there any work that people should be doing after they leave a marriage before getting into another relationship? Yes, all of it. So <laughs> <laughs> here's the here are the dirty numbers. And I think this is U.S., but I'm pretty sure this is fairly universal, right? In the U.S., 50% of first marriages end in divorce. We kind of know that, right? Um, is that the same in Canada? Jamie, do you know? I think it's about the same, yeah. It's, I think it's pretty much the same everywhere, right? And after the pandemic, I'm pretty sure it's higher. Uh, well, well, the divorce rate here, it, it, I mean, it's it's jumped to like 35% right now. Yes. Like 30, it's had a 35% increase since the oh, pandemic. Yeah. You either loved having quarantine with your partner or hated it. <laughs> like, right. I feel like there was nothing in between. Exactly. I have a friend who like went home and like spent like the last three months with her family. And I think it might save her marriage. <laughs> 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 like, smart move. So 50% of first marriages end in divorce. 68% of second marriages end in divorce. And 74% of third marriages end in divorce. And what this tells us is that, first of all, we're not getting better at marriage as we get older. <laughs> we're getting worse and worse at it. But it also tells us that if you don't do the work on yourself to figure out what went wrong the first time, and not just like, he was an asshole, I should choose better next time, you're going to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Mm-hmm. And when it happens a second time, you're kind of quicker to get out. But, you know, this is, this is it's like star- startling statistics. So. What we need to do, this is, and here's the thing, the work that you do after you get divorced is the same work that I do with women before they get divorced, right? Because I, I, what I want to do is get it all figured out so that you can set the stage for a really good divorce and a healthy future. So you want to figure out what you brought to the table. You want to figure out, look, I don't care if he was an emotionally abusive, narcissistic asshole, you chose him. So what is it? in your history, in your past that had you choose that guy, because probably you also like dated that guy, uh, you know, a million times over before you married one. Right. And so you're probably going to do the same thing. So what is your attachment style? What was your childhood wounding? What is the stuff in yourself that you need to clean up and work on so that you're not, that you're not using the same picker, right? Cause mm-hmm. we're, if we use the same picker over and over and over again, we're going to get the same fruit. So, you know, we want to be able to fix that. And that is really the internal work on ourselves. That is, you know, childhood wounding work. That's, you know, inventory work about, you know, okay, when was the first time, when was the first time you 
you know, the first red flag that you deliberately walked by. And I remember that moment in my, with my relationship with my ex-husband, we would had been dating for about two months and this big giant red flag went up. And I remember saying to myself, huh, okay, this is a big red flag, but that's okay. I love him anyway. And I said to myself, this is what you're signing on for. Are you okay with that? And I went, sure. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I'm aware. I see it. And if I tracked it, it was the thing that ended up having me leave. Mm -hmm. What do they say that the um, first fight or the first argument or the first issue that you have in your relationship is typically the one that you have over and over and over again? It's it's the one that has you break up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's 100% true. 100% true. I've done inventory work like this with, you know, hundreds of women. And this is exactly the same thing. Like that first red flag, that's exactly what ended up being the thing that, you know, that you never got over. Yeah, no kidding. And and you know what? You you see that in so many relationships. It's like it's Groundhog Day, like the same thing over and over and over again. And it goes back to what you're saying. If you're not going to do the work, like you're just signing out for the same thing over and over again. Absolutely. That's that's exactly it. It's exactly right. This is so, so good. Yeah. This is so helpful. I'm not saying it's helpful because I'm trying to decide whether to leave. I'm, I'm not deciding whether to leave. But I think this conversation is just so, so good for women in marriages and in healthy relationships and not. It's just so important. So that's what I want to f- kind of wrap up with. You talk about, obviously, communication. Communication is key. Do you have any tips for communicating in a healthy and productive way, even about the hard stuff? Well, especially about the hard stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um, a couple things. The first is, I think anytime you're about to have a hard, difficult conversation, first of all, don't have it in the midst of a fight. Mm-hmm. So, so things are calm and then ask permission, ask for consent. Hey, I want to have this conversation about this thing. Is now a good time? Because you're walking into you know, someone who's open versus someone who's like, this is really like in a bad place. Like, you know what? I don't think I'm ready to receive any hard information right now, you know? And so you get that and it's like, great, let me know when we can talk about this. Mm-hmm. Right. So- I used to have conversations when my husband was getting ready for work and yeah. was already thinking about his day. Right. Don't, that, don't do yeah. that. No, that's not bad good. idea. <laughs> yeah, we're- or when they get home and they're exhausted and they haven't even taken their coat off. Like, <laughs> yeah. Or when know. they're they're driving home from work when right. they're not even home yet. <laughs> right. Not good. <laughs> right. Not good. So ask for consent. So you know, pick a good time and ask for consent. And then keep your communication in I language. So I feel, right, as opposed to you did. Um, you know, so like, you know, when you said this to me, I felt um I felt disrespected. I felt my feelings were hurt right? Nobody can argue with your feelings. They can argue when you're like, you did this. They can be like, no, I didn't, or I didn't mean to, or whatever, right? It's like, no, no, no. Just like stick with how you felt about it. And then, you know, take responsibility for why, right? Because I think that what we forget is that I may have a wound on my shoulder, like a, a festering wound. And if someone bumps up against it, it really hurts me. But like, if they brush up, if I brush up against them in, a, in the same spot and they don't have a wound there, it doesn't hurt them. Mm-hmm. So like, let's be responsible for like that hurt me. And it actually like triggered my feelings of X from when I was a child. Right. Or like, you know, I know it's, this is my issue, but 
it, you know, it really would help me if, right? So you're making a request. You're, so you're, so you're keeping it in eye language. You're taking responsibility for your wounding. And then you're making a request for a different behavior that may be hard for them. But if you're keeping it about your feelings and your experience and your wounding and helping you, you know, with something like that, it makes them more generous. Like some, you're, you're going to be more generous if, so if <laughs> I have a, a trigger around lateness because my dad used to like be late all the time or not even show up for me when I was growing up. And so if someone's late, right, I could be like, you motherfucker, you were late and you don't care about me and it's disrespectful and blah, blah, blah. Right. And they'll be like, <laughs> Whoa, you're fucking psycho. Or I can say, Hey, so when you're late, um, I feel, I get really scared and I feel abandoned and it's totally my issue. It's my wound from childhood because my dad used to not show up and um, and so I just have this wound and I'm working on it and I totally know it's mine, but it would really help me if you would call, if you're going to be late, then the guy's going to be like, Oh my God, of course. <laughs> right. Like, of course I will. Yeah. It's right? not what you say. It's how you say it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think sort of, you know, healthy communication is, you know, and then there's also like, I mean, I have a whole thing about the science of communication about how, you know, you're looking for feedback, right? You're always look, there's a feedback loop that's happening. And if you're not communicating, you know, we think that like the way we communicate matters, it's how it's landing that matters the most, right? So if your communication isn't landing in the way that you want it to be received, you need to adjust your communication, Right. So like, I'm trying to get something across to you, but I don't feel like you're getting what I'm trying to say. Is there a way that I could be saying this, that you might hear it better? Right. Because you're always speaking, you know, speaking into someone else's wounding or, you know, how they feel about things or how, they, right. And, and we have to be mindful of the impact that we're having on the other person and whether it's landing anywhere. And if it's not, we have to adjust and figure out how to make it land. I love that because sometimes we're, I think we get stuck on what we're doing and that we think it's the right way to communicate, but they're not getting it. Well, if they're not getting it, you're not communicating with them as well as you right. could be. That's exactly right. That's exactly oh. right. Oh my gosh, Kate, I could talk to you forever. Uh, this is so good. Um, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, kateanthony.com. And on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide, and on my podcast, the Divorce Survival Guide Podcast. Love it, love it, and yeah, you have to follow her on Instagram, guys. She's so funny, so funny, <laughs> raw, real, to the point. I love it. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so good and so helpful. Oh, Jamie, it's been such a pleasure. I totally adore you, and I could agree. I could talk to you forever too. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to do it again then. Exactly. Yeah. You're gonna have to come on mine. So we'll, we'll set that up. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Okay, guys, if you like this podcast, please do me a little favor. Take a second and subscribe on iTunes and then screenshot this podcast. Give it a share in social media and tell your friends what you think. And Hey, don't forget to tag me so that I can thank you for helping me spread the word. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week. 